So three quick hits as we uh, begin and before we jump into this text. Um, Advent devotional. I don't know if you had a chance to do your first week of the Advent devotional. It, it's even harder to navigate than I, uh, na- than I announced last week because in the table of contents, it has the reading plan, which day, you know, uh, week one, day four, but then you flip forward. It doesn't say week one, day four over the, over the dates. Did you notice that? So, and the, the scripture readings are really tiny at the top. Don't miss those. That's where you're supposed to start. That's the important part. So what my mother did, I saw her copy of it. She actually wrote the days on the page. She actually went through and wrote what to read on what day. Or choose your own adventure and just kind of open up. I'm sure you'll be blessed. But if you were able to navigate through this, you'll notice there was a really good one on King Ahaz. And I thought, oh, our people, Free Christian Church, know all about King Ahaz, because we were talking about that last week, and I, I, was, I thought that was kind of cool, and it was a good reflection. So make sure, if you don't have one of these, grab one of these. So we're moving from the week was kind of the pinkish color into this kind of greenish color. So maybe that maybe you're more inclined to colors. Okay. Um, uh, second thing, Friday night. So we had a really busy weekend. Thank you to the musicians and everybody who helped coordinate the music, uh, the music of Free Christian Church, for holiday happenings, they stood out there in the freezing cold for an hour and just brought joy and music, and they're uh, trying to keep their horns in tune, and it was just really a, a wonderful time. So, but why do we do that? Why do we go to a town event to just to kind of do music? Because it's not sort of preaching or gospel proclamation uh, like we would, you know, like typically, but we want to bless our neighbors. We want to bring joy uh, as we can and share our gifts and kind of um, show that we love music. But the, the gospel is in the music. We were singing, you know, what child is this? This, this is Christ the King. And so we were, you know, we hear the message of Jesus through the, through the music too. So, um, so thank you to everybody who played. If you missed it, next Sunday morning, 17th, some of the members of that jazz band are going to play here. And so you'll get to hear some of that, uh, some of that music. It's also Jason Cross, our new uh, music minister, his first sort of Sunday morning debut here. So next Sunday, uh, if you missed it, you'll, you'll be blessed next Sunday. So come back. Um, and then yesterday, we had an amazing day. I, uh, we were continuing the work. And now that the, the Lighthouse apartment building is vacant, we can finish the demolition work. And so we removed the chimney. Now or one and a half chimneys. There's three chimneys to, to remove. Now, I don't know if you've ever removed a chimney from an existing building. I never have. I think most people in their lifetime would remove maybe zero or one chimneys from an existing house. But it is, uh, it's amazing work because it comes down the way it went up, kind of brick by brick by brick. And carrying these um, buckets, you get to haul the bricks out of the building down two flights of stairs in buckets Brick by brick. So if I'm not standing up perfectly straight today, and if I'm if I if I kind of do this like this, that's why. Because I was helping haul bricks, and um, so but it was a lot of fun. It was really dirty, and it was really um, uh, it was it was uh, it's filthy work, but it's fun. And so because it was so fun, next week if you want to join, <laughs> if you've never removed a chimney and you want to check that off your life list of things to do, join us next week. Now, um, that may not be for you, so maybe just make a big donation to the Proverbs 3-5 fund, which funds all the work and the, you know, the renovation and stuff we're doing over there. So you could do that instead, but uh, dusty but fun. And so 
what I learned, a lesson learned yesterday, ties right into this morning, is that we are um, walking through these special names of a child that was to be born, a special king that God was sending to the world, and he was to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we are considering this child to be born, how this child is indeed Mighty God. And one thing I learned carrying bricks of uh, buckets of bricks down the stairs is how quickly human strength fails. Um, a year ago, uh, some of you know, a year ago I was quite sick and I was weak and I was uh, and I was thin and I, now I feel stronger and I, my strength has returned to me and I love to do kind of these labor projects. Um, so I do feel much stronger than I did a year ago, but a couple trips down the flights of stairs with the bricks, you'd realize, you know, next time maybe like a little less bricks in the bucket, and then like a half a bucket, and then like one bucket, you know, instead of two, and, um, and then some Advil. So, um, you know, human strength it fails, but God is mighty. God has uh, infinite strength. And the special, special child is Mighty God. Of the four names that we will be considering of this child, the name Mighty God might be the most important of the names. It brings us right to the center of our faith. This is the belief, the fact that this child is Mighty God is a belief that sets us apart from uh, other systems of faith and other religions and, uh, of the world and other belief about God. This is at the center, that Jesus is Mighty God. That Christ has come, but more than that, God has come. And therefore, God is with us, and um, he was with us, he is with us, and this makes all the difference. So let's pray as we jump into this. So Father God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you have come to this world, and that genuinely does change everything. Um, everything we understand, everything that we would ever think or do or the way that we exist in this world changes because of this truth, Lord. So I pray that your truth would go deep into our hearts today as we look into your word. We, we thank you that you bless us in this way to teach us and to be with us. Uh, so we give our time to you and we do give ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So kind of our outline today, we're going to consider this notion of mighty God and how we understand that, particularly from the Old Testament perspective. Then I want to look at how uh, from a New Testament perspective, how Jesus is mighty God, how Jesus really does fulfill this, and lastly, how he is mighty to save us. So, mighty God, El Gibor in Hebrew, um, literally God hero, or a God of a hero, or a, uh, the name means a hero whose chief characteristic is that he is God. Uh, it points to God's strength, his might, <clears throat> indeed his omnipotence, and I choose Psalm 24 as an example of in the time of the kings of old, how God's people would have understand how God is mighty God and how we would understand and approach mighty God. So uh, kind of take a walk through Psalm 24 here. This is, again, kind of approaching God uh, in his tabernacle, approaching God at his temple. And the first, it's based on the foundation that God is creator. That's the first thing. God is creator. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The first uh, posture towards God is to recognize that the, the earth is God's. Everything that 
exists, it's because God has established it, God made it, that God is the creator. And I was at my mom's house this week spending some time, and um, she has a globe, and she's had this globe for many years. But for some reason this week especially, I was fascinated by the globe. And I'm just kind of spinning it and looking at the names of the countries and um, realizing how bad at geography I am, but also um, just how vast our planet is and seeing our little slice of this little tiny planet. And um, so just being struck by that. But then being struck also by this week by the sun. And yesterday we're up early and um, I was with Clancy having coffee and she said, hey, look at the sunrise. And the sky was just lit up. Beautiful sunrise yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. And um, then I think of the sun and how the power of the sun. And then this week, scientists found a hole in the sun. Did you read the story? Uh, I read the headline. I didn't read the whole story. But apparently there's a hole in the sun or a gap that's the size of 60 Earths. So that globe I was looking at, just a little opening in the sun near the sun's equator, so to speak, it was 60 of our Earths would fit in there. And then the sun itself is actually just kind of a small star. And there's just this, you look at the sky at night, and there's just vast amounts of stars. And they're, they're all, and just how small we are, but the, how vast the universe is and how great God is just by looking at these things and just by, be, by being struck by these things. And here, this Psalm 24 begins with, everything is the Lord's. And he established it all by his hand. That is the God. That is mighty God. And then, so how, who could approach this kind of a God? Verse 3. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Well, if you're going to approach one who is that great and powerful, you better have some level of purity or cleanness. Who may stand in his holy place? Verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust an idol or swear by a false god. You know, yesterday when we finished the, the brickwork, I was looking at the other people who had volunteered to work, and uh, they were filthy. They were just covered with dust. And I thought, man, those people are really dirty. And I went to go into my own house, and I realized I'm also one of the dirty ones. Like, I was also covered in dust. I didn't realize it. I shook out my hat. There was this little cloud, and I shook out my hoodie and just to get all that, because I didn't want to bring that filth into my own house. How much more as somebody who's seeking to have some kind of personal encounter with a holy God, would you want to be clean and pure, and, uh, and yet we are, we are stained and marred by our own sin and our, uh, of, of all the ways we have turned from God? And here, there's a certain um, purity, you know, one who does not trust in false gods or idols or stray into the, all these ways that we can sin, but one with, with the heart that is pure before God, that can, can then expect to have an experience of God. And so we, that brings about a hopeful expectation of this. So verse 7 is about um, this expectation of encountering God. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So the, the, the idea is that the eyes are up and expecting to experience something of God, that even the gates of the building and even the doors are looking up. Everything uh, it sort of metaphorically is looking up to see this, to encounter this powerful God. Uh, verse 8, who is this king of glory who is coming? It's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. That's that same word, mighty, you know, mighty God. Lift up your heads, you gates, verse 9. Uh, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Just a beautiful expression of seeing God as creator, knowing that you need to have some purity to experience this God and just being so expectant 
to experience something of this mighty God. That's an amazing name for a baby, to name a baby mighty God. But the baby in the manger is mighty God. Jesus was and is God. That's hard to accept. That's actually really hard to believe. And most um, faith systems of our world, other than our Christian faith, do not believe that God could take on human flesh to live in human form. Um, Islam's second largest religion in the world does, cannot accept this. It, it cannot think that God would lower himself in this way to uh, take on human flesh. To, that you can't, it's incompatible. Humanity and divinity, it's incompatible. And I remember I, I had a, a wonderful conversation with a guy. So when I was in seminary, I had to take, a, I, I chose to take a class on Islam. I read the whole Quran, learned all about the history of Islam. Very interesting. But as part of the class, we had to interview a, uh, somebody who was a Muslim. So I knew this guy, and we sat and had a great, we had a cup of coffee. It was learned a lot. And we really kind of, um, we get along well. But at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, hey, we don't, you and I don't believe the same thing. Like, what's the big deal? Like, why don't you believe what I believe? And he said, look, this, you've way overblown the Jesus thing. He said, Jesus was a good prophet, but there's no way that you could say that any human being is, is God or anything like God. And yet, we believe that Jesus was both fully man and fully God at the same time. This is hard uh, for people, uh, regardless of their faith, it's hard for Christians. And throughout the history of the Christian church, there's been individuals and groups who have said, you know, maybe we've overblown the Jesus thing. And they've had other systems of thought that would uh, deny the divinity of Jesus. And groups today, in, in ancient times, um, in early, the early church, there was a, a bishop named Arius. And he, again, kind of similar to what a Muslim would believe, to say, you know, you can't, God wouldn't um, go that low to take on humanity. It's just not... Compatible. Jesus must be something lower or less than God himself. And so he started this teaching, and they, they formed a council of all the church leaders, because this is very dangerous teaching. And in 325, there was the Council of Nicaea, and they formulated a statement of faith, which we call the Nicene Creed. And this creed is uh, held true by uh, Roman Catholic Christians Eastern Orthodox and various Orthodox Christians and by Protestant Christians, we all agree to this, this statement of faith because Jesus, we, we believe central to our faith, not tangential to our faith, central to our faith that Jesus is indeed God. So the creed reads, uh, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence or substance as the Father. And through him all things were made. The, the creed had to state clearly what we believe is that Jesus is not made, was never made by God, but Jesus is co-eternal with God of the same substance of God. God from God, true God, true God, uh, not made. Jesus. So this mighty God, this child to come, mighty God, 
is Jesus. And Jesus, um, when his followers put their faith in him, when they believed what he said about himself and what he did, we see that they saw him as mighty God. And I want to show you some verses from John chapter 1, which we looked at not, not that long ago for some of us who were here. Um, but it really does parallel this notion of mighty God that we saw in Psalm 24. That, he's, that this is, um, that, that, that Jesus indeed is uh, creator, or that, 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 this, that God has come, the creator has come. So John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So we have this notion of word um, that is both with God and is God. So there's this distinct from, but also same as, and this is the creator, verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So you have this notion of the creator God existent, and then who can approach this kind of God? Only somebody who has some sort of purity. Verse 16, out of the fullness of his, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given or in some translations, grace upon grace. It's out of the superabundance of who he is that we receive his grace and we can be called forgiven and free to have any kind of encounter with this God. It's described like this earlier, verse 12. Uh, again, John chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That because he came and we, as we put our faith in him, we have a right to, to, be, to receive his grace, to be connected to him as his family. So that creates this amazing expectation that we, that we lift our eyes and that we expect it. In, in the great verse here, John 1.14, that word who was both God and with God became flesh and dwelt among us, this is Jesus. This is how his followers understood him, that Jesus was fully God. This changes everything. This reorients everything that we believe about life, everything that we believe about God. If God has come and taken on human flesh and taught and acted and walked and showed us um, what it means that who God is, and Jesus was and is God. The Bible claims it, Colossians 2.9. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily, bodily form. Again, that, that John 1, that the, the word with God, of God, uh, with God and, and is God becomes human flesh. And Jesus um, claimed it for himself. That's why, they, uh, re- that's why people rejected him. That's why they sought to stone him. They said, you, a mere man, claim to be God. It was not unclear what Jesus was claiming. His disciples called him God when Thomas saw the risen Christ and he saw the wounds. He said, my Lord and my God. And the disciples worshipped him as God. These are strictly monotheistic, strictly faithful Jewish men who are now worshipping a human, fully God, fully human Jesus, as God. And by his words and his actions, Jesus proved that he indeed was God. Most importantly, his resurrection from the dead. Jesus was God. So here we have Isaiah's prophecy that the child to be born is mighty God in the flesh. And that just gives us a kind of a picture of 
who Jesus would be. It's a beautiful picture. We love pictures. Um, again, I was, when I was visiting my mom this week, uh, pictures, the, the old Christmas cards, she's got at least three years of Christmas cards on the fridge of my kids. She just doesn't take them down. And, uh, and it's great, and she loves those pictures. I love getting the Christmas card pictures from uh, friends, and people we're out of touch with. You can see how kids have grown, and it's just a fun, we like to hang them up um, for the season. So uh, love the Christmas cards, but you know what's even better? Is actually seeing someone face to face. Isaiah gives us this picture of mighty God who is to be born, and it's like, a little, it's like an ultrasound picture because the baby's not born yet. And I don't know if you see ultrasound pictures People post them on the internet. I'm thinking, that's kind of weird, that's your uterus. But, um, <laughs> but it's, a good, it's amazing they can even take a picture of that. Um, but congratulations. And so it's, and I can see that it looks, looks like a baby. And, okay, that's good. Um, but so this, you know, we get kind of this ultrasound picture from the prophet Isaiah. And then at Christmas, we realize we can see face to face. That Jesus is mighty God. So we have the promise of mighty God, that Jesus is this mighty God. And then why is this important? Is because he's mighty God to save you. Another prophet, Zephaniah chapter 3, says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He'll take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's, it's not just um, his it is, it's his grace and his love, but it's his power. He is mighty to save you. And we sing that song, our God is mighty to save. I mean, this is what mighty God does. But Jesus, in order to save you, he had to be fully God and fully man at the same time to save us from sin and to save us from death. At the heart of our existence as people who live in a world that's broken by sin is that we, have, we all have this sin condition that needs to be dealt with. If it's not dealt with, it leads to, to death. It leads to physical and spiritual death and separation from God. That is our condition. So we need to be rescued from that. But only, in order to do that, Jesus had to enter into human death. Only a human can enter into human death, but only God can defeat death. Jesus had to be both human and God to enter the battle of death, but no mere human could come out the other side except the power of God. Again, in Scripture, it describes that Jesus does that as our substitute. So in order for Jesus to represent humanity, to represent humans, he himself must be human to represent us, to be our substitute. But in order to, for him to represent us perfectly, he also has to be God because only God is perfect. So he has to be human to represent us. He has to be God to perfectly represent us. And that's why um, Jesus has to be fully God and fully man. So does that make a difference? Does it make a difference in my day-to-day life? When I get up and go to work tomorrow, does this matter? The answer is a resounding yes. Because, because Jesus had to come and deal with your sin in this way, it means that tomorrow you don't have to. Often we deal with our sin in two, two contrasting ways. We either fall into what I'll call religion or we fall into what I'll call irreligion. Irreligion would be kind of ignoring the fact that I'm broken and sinful. I'll compartmentalize that. I'll ignore God and ignore the, my sin against the holy God. 
That's on one side. On the other side, I can fall into religion to say, I acknowledge what I've done, and I'm going to try really hard to atone for my own sins by being religious, by working hard, by trying to do what's right. The problem with that is that we always fall short. The good news is that Jesus has gone on your behalf. He's accomplished everything that God requires of you, for you, on your behalf. So when you fail tomorrow, you might, as you fail tomorrow, that you can remember that that's not fatal, that you're never beyond the grace of God because Jesus' grace is abundant and, and for you and, and his grace and love is sufficient. And you're never, you've never strayed so far into this you know, irreligion and sin that you can't be brought back in um, and, and that he's accomplished it all. And so you don't have to atone for that because he did that for you. And so when you sin, you can confess, you can repent, turn from it, and you can press on and walk in faith because he's mighty to save you. So here's what I want you to do this week. This is how you're going to take this out of here. What I want you to do this week is I want you to watch a sunrise. Now, that's an easy ask this time of year, okay? There's times of the year where I, that might be a stretch. But you don't even have to get up early to see the sunrise uh, over the next month or so. And when you see the sun come up, know that the God who made that happen came to this earth for you. That the God of the universe wrote himself into his own story. That God comes to us in human flesh, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to face off death and to destroy it, uh, to be your representative, to offer that perfect um, sacrifice on your behalf. And you can go about your week remembering that, that God has come, truly. Emmanuel, meaning God with us, that God is with us, God is with you. And because of that, he can sustain you and he can, he can sympathize with you. The God of the universe has walked where you've walked. The God of the universe was tempted as you are tempted, yet without sin. Uh, that Jesus experienced the, the joys of life and the delights, but also the frustration. He experienced the betrayal of friends. He experienced even death itself. He knows us. And as Scripture teaches, that because he suffered and when he was tempted, he's, he's able to help us who are being tempted. He shows us that it's not impossible to fight temptation. It's not impossible to... To, to follow God's way. So when we fail, we know that's not fatal. We can fail forward. Um, we don't have to fall into religion or irreligion. Um, we're never beyond his grace. And you can trust him because he is strong. He is indeed mighty God. And he came gentle and small and soft and squishy, a little baby. But make no mistake, that baby in the manger is mighty God. He's strong enough to carry you through whatever you face. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you have come. That you, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the God of might and power, you have come to this earth to show us yourself, to show us your grace, to, to, to go to the cross for us, to defeat even death itself, Lord, that we can be forgiven and free and walk in this world with you, 
with your power to sustain us. So for whatever we face this week, Lord, the, the highs, the lows, the level ground, whatever it is, we know that you are strong and you are with us and we give you all the glory for that. Empower us to uh, never forget this central uh, part of our faith that you are mighty God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.